0: The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord be seated. Glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace to His people on earth. Amen. When we get there, it'll be worth it. Have you said it yet? To your spouse, as you pack up the car, double, triple check the diaper bag, and mentally prepare yourself for the three, four, five, maybe more hours in a car with a toddler. To yourself, as you burn the midnight oil, put in a couple extra hours now so you can spend more time with your family, over the holidays? Maybe it hasn't happened yet, but you know it probably will because it seems to be just as much a part of the holidays as anything else. Maybe it even happened this evening. You rub the sleep out of your eyes, put on your coat if you needed it, head out into the night, and find yourself here. won't make you admit it, it was tempting to stay there in front of the fire, but it is worth considering: what is it that brought you here? What is it that got you off the couch and into these pews this evening? There's not much new happening. It's the same service with the same readings and pretty much the same hymns as last year, and the year before, and the year before, for hundreds of Christmas eves before this, almost as long as it's been AD. Christians have been gathering together on Christmas Eve to hear these words. Why? Because we want to see the Christ. This story is so simple and familiar. Many of us memorize these verses as children. We could even recite portions of it now, although it's got less these and thous in it than it used to. It's also a story that is almost astonishing in its lack of detail. You almost want to grab Luke and go, what's the deal? This is a pretty big moment. And all we get is an outline. This is a very big occasion. And all Luke gives us are the highlights. It's almost as if this moment is so big This is such a momentous occasion, what's really happening is so far beyond our ability to comprehend that the best way to preserve this story is simply to tell it like it is. And that's what Luke does. He starts in chapter 1 when he explains that the baby Mary is carrying is no ordinary baby. Mary is still a virgin, and yet she's with child. We don't know how that's possible. What we're told is that the Spirit of the Lord came upon Mary. She conceived. She's pregnant. She's going to give birth to a son. He will be great. His name will be Jesus. He will be called the Son of God. He will reign on the throne of David forever. Okay. This isn't some ordinary baby. This baby is the king who will sit on David's throne. He's the one who will judge the world and rule it with an iron scepter. This baby is none other than the promised Messiah for whom they've been waiting. This baby is God himself, wrapped in human flesh. And with that, Luke moves on. There's a census commanded by Caesar Augustus. The governor in Syria is a man named Quirinius. He commands that all people go to their hometown to register. Joseph is living in Galilee, but he's from Bethlehem. So that's where he and Mary go. While they're there, because they probably were there for a few days, maybe even weeks or months, the time comes for the baby to be born. She gives birth to a son. It's her first. She swaddles him as any good mother would, she places him in a manger. Over the centuries, we've romanticized this scene a little bit. This manger likely is in a shed built onto the side of a house at one of Joseph's relatives' family homes. When the house is full as it would be during a census, it makes sense that the young couple would be the ones who who end up out in the stable. It's nearby, it's safe, it's clean, it's warm, it's comfortable. They're nearby, but they're not underfoot. And that's it. With 400 words... Luke tells us the story of the most astonishing moment in all of human history. God became flesh. How can that be? How can that which is eternal, supernatural, and infinite compress itself down into the flesh of an infant? It's unreasonable. It's irrational. It's impossible And yet we believe it, because it's true. We must believe it, because this miracle that we call the Incarnation is the foundation of the Christian faith. We know that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We know that the wages of sin is death. That means the ransom on your head is nothing short of death and condemnation. The only way to redeem you is through death. And no death will do. Not just any death will do. It must be a righteous death, a holy death. But one alone is holy, God himself. So God himself, the person of God, takes on flesh and is born in a manger. And God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him... We might become the righteousness of God. There is no other way to be saved. Luther joked in one of his Christmas sermons that if God had wanted to save donkeys and ducks, he would have had to become a donkey or a duck. But God wants to save mankind. And so he becomes a man and he joins us in our weakness. And here he lies. This is God made flesh. Don't you wish you could see him? To look at him yourself and know that it's true, maybe even to dare to touch the flesh so you might believe it. We were born in the wrong time, in the wrong place. We cannot see him that night ourselves. Neither was Luke. He heard about it from others. But there were some there, they were able to see the baby, and now Luke tells us his story. There were shepherds out in the fields nearby. They're out there because it's nighttime and the sheep need to be protected. These are hired men. Farmhands. They're probably wearing the only set of clothes that they own. They probably don't have a permanent place to call home. And it's to these men out in the countryside that God sends his angel to announce that the Savior has come. They're terrified, of course, but the angel speaks comfort. Don't be afraid. I'm bringing you good news. It will bring great joy to all the people. Today, a baby has been born in Bethlehem, and that baby is your Savior, Christ the Lord. If you want to go see him, he's wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. That name, Christ the Lord, would have been a name any Jew that had ever walked into a synagogue would recognize. The shepherds would have known exactly who the angel was talking about at the moment they heard the word. To put it into plain English, the angel says, he's the one who comes to deliver the anointed one. By calling this child the Christ, the the angel identifies him as the anointed one who would become the king of kings and he would rescue his people Israel. This is the king for whom they've been waiting. He's God. He's the anointed one. The promised Messiah. He's the Savior, Christ the Lord. Why are shepherds chosen to receive this news? We don't know that. But our God does have an affinity for shepherds. He calls himself the good shepherd over and over again. He chooses a shepherd boy, David, who once himself washed his own sheep on these same hills outside of Bethlehem and made David king. We know shepherds weren't held in very high regard in Judea. But they're held high in God's favor because that's who the angel comes to to announce the Savior's birth. And he says this is for all people. All people, including the lowly shepherds. Particularly the lowly shepherds. This Savior is for you. Savior isn't for the folks in town, the big wigs, the high and mighty. It's for the lowly shepherds and everybody in between. And with that word, the heavens are ripped open, and a whole army of angels appears, fresh from battle. And with their song, they shake the hills as they sing glory to God in the highest heaven and peace to his people on earth. Of course, the shepherds go see the baby. How could they not? And as they turn away from the manger and head back into the night, they cannot help but tell everyone they encounter all the things they have heard and seen, which are just as they had been told. Years later, they'll tell Luke. Luke writes it down. And now we read these words again and again, and we marvel. We gather together on Christmas Eve, and we read these words again and wonder at them. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. God has made himself our brother, born as a baby, so he could be the man who dies on the cross, rise from the grave, and when he ascends and sits again on the throne and is the one who judges the universe, he looks at you in love, bids you put on his own righteousness as a robe so that you no longer face condemnation. Not today and not any day. Not because of what you have done, but because of what He has done, which is exactly what He has promised from the beginning of time. That's what brought you here this evening. That's what got you off the couch and into these pews. How can you celebrate the fact that God has a birthday without pausing to marvel at the miracle? The miracle of a promise of salvation fulfilled. All the peace and joy of this day and any day is a result of this story. God saw we could not rise to him, so he came to us, walked among us, and was a savior for us. That's why again tonight, along with the shepherds and the saints of old and the church of the years, we gather outside the stable, we peek inside, just because we want to see him again. We whisper in hushed tones, He's here. Just wanted to look at him. Just wanted to look at the Christ and remember what he has done. So welcome. and Merry Christmas. Amen. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all as you celebrate his birth. Amen.